Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today, we have Brian W. Peterson on the line with us today, and he's been an author for a while, and he wrote a new book called uh, Paper Doll. Uh, it's his newest novel. Uh, but before we get into that, Brian, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself, tell people who you are, and uh, a bit about your background? Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am Brian W. Peterson. That W is very important when looking me up. I am a novelist. I was trained in screenplay writing as well, and I have published four novels. A fifth, the sci-fi, is uh, going to be out in a couple of months. Mostly, I write psychological thrillers and sci-fi, but the book we're going to be talking about today is Paper Doll, A True Story that's written as a novel about brothers during the Great Depression and going off to World War II. Cool. So what got you into screenwriting and writing novels? I come from a family of storytellers. I have a mind that I don't shut off very well. I'm constantly thinking. And if I'm not thinking about something important, then I'm probably making up stories and trying out different ideas of something that would work well on a story. And so I've been that way since a little kid. And so that was just the path that I took because of my creativity. And I enjoy writing, and I've written in a number of formats, but in, in uh, the exception of Paper Doll, which is true, I, I love creating stories. And so it just kind of gravitated in that direction. Awesome. A lot of people who, like, look into, like, screenwriting and writing novels, like, find it extremely difficult to, like, kind of break into the industry. Uh, did you face a lot of challenges when you first started out? Definitely in screenwriting. In fact, I lived out, moved out to uh, Southern California for a bunch of years. I'm from uh, city area. And yes, it is an incredibly challenging industry. When you hear about uh, famous actors, for example, attached to a screenplay, and then that screenplay doesn't get made, you have to shake your head and wonder how anything gets made. And so, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. When, uh, as far as screenplays go, I had a um, film short produced, the real Hollywood crew. It was really a, a great experience. But yeah, breaking in is uh, very brutal. And uh, what, what's the saving grace for writing is the uh, indie or the, or, excuse me, for the novels is the uh, independent authors is uh, self-publishing. So that, that's been a saving grace there. Yeah, um, I have a book with a publisher, and it takes years and years to really get through, to really break through and get into uh, that type of category. Um, At first, like, uh, publishers reached out to me, but after a while, um, they're like, are you going to write a book? Are you going to write a book? Then they're like, I'm like, I guess I could write a book. And they're like, send over a proposal and show us what you're going to write. And I do that. And they're like, oh, we don't want it. I'm like, okay. And then, <laughs> why did you ask for it? Yeah. It's, and it's like if, a they, weird if you have a finished product in their hands, they're still not going to publish it for about three years. And in the meantime, I'm getting old. I can't do that. And so, so that's a challenge. 
yeah, it's it's a very interesting process, and, and a lot of it doesn't really like make sense when you think about like how other industries work, and it's it's a challenge. <laughs> right, and one flip side is for the readers, it's challenging to know who's a good writer because if someone's self-published, did they? Um, for example, hire a, a professional editor. I know I made the mistake on my first novel of not hiring a professional editor. Well, I learned, and you can see how my writing is you know, a lot different than it was in that first novel. So, yeah, there's also the matter of what is the quality like? And there are a lot of uh, self-published authors who don't have the quality. And so that kind of drags us all down. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like, I checked out a lot of different products over time. And um, when you look at books with a publisher, you expect it to be good. But sometimes there's a lot of duds when it comes to uh, published works as well. And it's like, oh, this didn't really um, hit the mark. But then at the same time, when you're in the self-published realm, like, you'll see something that you could tell someone didn't really invest a lot of time on. They're calling something a book, and it's only, like, 20 pages or something. And then at other times, you see the self-published work. Like, uh, one of my friends, um, she wrote a book, and next thing you know, a few years later, Netflix picks it up for a special, and she self-published it. And it's like, wow, how did that happen? Interesting you say that because I'm trying to go down the same path. I ha I'm working with an award-winning film producer to get Paper Doll made into an eight-episode streaming series. And so I have written the uh, pilot episode and outlined several more episodes. And uh, this, the producer's really high on it. He has a good track, rec track record. And it's just, uh, hopefully it's going to be a matter of time, hopefully get this made, because Paper Doll is a really intriguing story. It's about brothers during the Great Depression who go off to World War II. And World War II does seem to be, in that time frame, does seem to be a popular, popular subject right now. Yeah, it is a popular subject right now, and it's really emerging a lot. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the state of the world we're in right now. Like, we have the pandemic, we have the recession, uh, there's a war going over in the East and things like that. So it's kind of bringing back the reminiscent times of uh, the World War II era. Uh, not identically, but there's some similarities that fall in there, and it's kind of interesting how uh, things are playing out. Uh, my friend, for example, uh, she uh, her novel had this game in it called Light as a Feather or something like that that I believe she created, and it's kind of interesting because now a lot of other uh, TV shows and movies make reference to it as well, which uh, is kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that was that's something that's going to help you know propel her, if, if, propel her upward if that's the case. Yeah, and it's I don't know about history repeating itself. I think it's been said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes a lot. And um, you know, anytime there's a, a situation like, for example, with the pandemic, so people started learning about the uh, Spanish flu of 1918, 1919, and then you find out when you get into that. It was called the Spanish flu because the country of Spain got hit hard, but it really started in Kansas. And then after World War One, it took off again in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. So it's uh, when you get into history, history is so fascinating. 
And there's so much that we don't know until we dig into it on our own because you don't stay on the same subject for very long. Yeah, and I believe it was one uh, epidemic that happened because everyone, like, chased out all the rats in town. And because all the rats were... No, no, they chased out all the cats or something. And because the cats went away, rats became overpopulated. And it caused another epidemic. It's, like, the weirdest thing. Like, people are like, oh, we don't like this animal. We're going to get rid of it. The next thing you know, something bad happened. (laughs) Yeah, and people haven't always been geared toward cleanliness. And just when you, when I was going through researching for this book, um, you know, the differences between then and now, well, I mean, and cleanliness, that was just a, you know, not even a, a real subject for me at the moment as I was researching it. But there are so many differences the way, from the way people lived. Uh, just one quick example I ran across. I was speaking to a cousin of mine. He's in his 80s, and he so he's a let's see first cousin twice removed. So he's of my grandfather's generation. He's he's uh, still living, and he was telling me about living in the country in northern Minnesota, and they had a three seater outhouse. And I said, "What the heck is a three seater outhouse?" He said, "It's just like it sounds." He says, "If if uh, you go into the outhouse and your sister for business, it doesn't matter. You got to go in and do your business too." So. Can you imagine? Uh, people live differently now, at least in the, United, in the Western world, in the United States. <laughs> uh, I, the closest thing I've ever seen to that is one person on Instagram had their home set up with a toilet next to the toilet. <laughs> so a couple could um, use it at the same time because they often found that they had to go at the same time. But other than that, like that's something you don't really see. I can't imagine doing that. Well, one thing I came across. Yeah. To me, it's the only person that has ever done it. Uh, So Uh, it's a right thing. Yeah. I researched hundreds of letters between family members. This is a story about my family. And I researched, uh, I read, excuse me, hundreds of letters, uh, did a lot of research, interviewed people, et cetera. And when I was going through old newspapers, I came across a 1938 paper that announced that the United States had just hit 130 million in population, 130 million. Well, now, what's that, 84 years later, we're at 330 million. There are 200 million people more today than there there was uh, in 1938. And if you forget demographics, if you forget the you know uh, nationalities etc. If you just look at how people were living, it's amazing when you think about the country's the same size. The country hasn't grown, and yet there are 200 million more people here. That's that's just an interesting and mind-boggling thought. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And if you think about it, where we'll be in another 80 years, it could be a lot more, which could be kind of insane. <laughs> Yeah, the rate it's growing, I, I don't know any projections, but it would be a lot. Uh, one yeah. thing I, I do want to explain, because people are ask, you know, with the story I'm describing, how'd you get the name Paper Doll? Well, it's about three brothers in northern Minnesota. My grandfather, he couldn't get into the Army. He uh, had bad knees. They wouldn't take him. So he uh, moved to northern California and worked in the shipyards. One brother 
went to the Pacific Theater, was at Leyte and Okinawa. And the third brother was in a European theater in the uh, U.S. Uh, Army Air Corps. He was in a B-24 called Paper Doll, and that's where the title comes from. So, um, And you, then as I was putting this story together, I realized this is also their mother's story, because you can imagine having three sons spread out all across the world and how worried sick she would be. And so um, it's, it's a story, basically, of my family's uh, successes, their tragedies, their, their uh, failures, and uh, basically the story of one family and what they went through during the Depression and World War II. Yeah, I can imagine just how uh, the mom feels. I mean, the countries are, the whole entire world's at war. One son's over here, one son's over there, one son's over there. Like, their livelihood, something that you're thinking about all the time. Hoping they're okay, hoping they're real fat, hoping they're taken care of, hoping they're not getting injured or sick. Like, that could be a huge stressor on the mom. Yeah, and you didn't have the communication that you have now. Now... In, when uh, our soldiers are overseas, they can communicate by cell phone. And, you know, back then, not only did you communicate by letter, because when they were in the military, they didn't have access to phones, but you, you were also dependent upon the military getting the letters out. And so sometimes families would send a letter and they wouldn't receive a response for a month or more. And so they don't know in that month, did something happen, happen to my son? or brother, et cetera. And so, yeah, communication was a lot different. Um, how, how, they, um, you know, how they dealt with situations changed simply because of communication. And, and so that was just a, a, a one big area that really struck me is, you know, when somebody got on a ship, uh, one of my great uncles was on a ship going from Hawaii to the Philippines, and so nobody heard from him for over a month. Not that it took that long to get there, but it took that long for the mail system to get set up so that they could, he could start receiving letters again. Yeah, and if you think about it, like with that type of communication delay, I, I'm under the impression that people were a lot better writers at the time because they had to really express all that they could in that letter because of the lack of communication that happened on a regular basis. But as time has progressed, and if you think about how like people write and communicate nowadays, it's not as um, precise, it's not as um, thoughtful, it's not as emotion-provoked as it was back then. That's an assumption I'm, I'm assuming. Um, what, what have you found through your novel writing and so forth? Reading through my family's letters, I would concur with you. They had to write, and uh, whether it was writing a girlfriend, it was writing a family member, it was writing a friend, that's what they did, and that's what they did regularly. So, yeah, they could, every once in a while, there would be things maybe that, you know, some folks couldn't spell right or something, but for the most part, they wrote, they wrote well. Um, nobody in my family was, you know, necessarily, you know, outstanding, but they were still good writers. Nobody was, you know, had, had a flair that you, you just, you know, kind of was amazed at, amazed by, but they were still good writers. And yeah, that, I, I'm not saying it's disappearing, but it is waning somewhat nowadays, especially you're on Twitter, you understand when you've only gotten a certain, uh, you've got a certain number of characters 
And so you use abbreviations, then you text, you use abbreviations. Pretty soon you're out of the habit of spelling common words. So yes, you're right. Yeah, I definitely see the change in that. Like on Tuesday, um, <clears throat> I went to a screening of uh, Anne Rice's new uh, redone show, um, Interview with a Vampire. And she passed away last year, rest in peace. But that, you could tell that piece of work had a lot of depth to it. Like, it's got a lot of volume. There's a lot of uh, detail that goes into the creation of it. And then when you kind of fast forward to today and what you kind of see everywhere, you could tell that same amount of depth is few and far between in the types of work that we see nowadays. Agreed. I definitely agree. And I think part of it, too, is at least when it comes to movies, a lot of people are impressed by what goes boom and the flash yeah. and the bangs <laughs> and, the, and the action. And I personally, I'm not very big into um, superhero stuff because when I see a preview and everything is uh, you know green screened, everything is CGI, I'm looking at that going, yeah, I want to see something that's more realistic. And, you know, you know I, I, I still, I write sci-fi. There's certain things I enjoy. And if you made that into a movie, it would be, the, it would have to have a lot of computer graphics. It's just that I gravitate more toward the, the, the human, the, the real, you know, like, so that's one reason why I like psychological thrillers. I like getting inside the minds of my characters more than I like things that go boom. Yeah, and it's amazing for people to go out there and still get into the mind of the characters and go and really uh, create those compelling backstories and everything like that because you don't see that happen too much often anymore. I mean, every now and then you'll see something that uh, where uh, a lot of work is put into it. But I feel that um, especially when we look at our new generation, um, there's like platforms like Twitch and everything. And you could tell like, Things aren't just like as well thought out as they uh, used to be. Um. Anyways, it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online, Brian W. Peterson? Written by bwp.com. It's written by bwp.com. That will have every that will link you to all my books. Uh, the paper doll is available on audio, so if you go to Audible or um, iTunes, you'll be able to get it there. But otherwise, just written by bwp.com and you'll find everything you'll need awesome and you can find me at mr Lang kim on twitter and we'll be we'll be back after this commercial break be sure to friend us on facebook you can do it right now visit facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for us at keyword voice america it's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success 
is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's Important Now, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with Brian W. Peterson. And we've been talking a little bit about how the industry of the world of writing has kind of changed from novels to screenwriting and so forth. And we talked a bit about uh, his book, Paper Doll, which is based in uh, the World War II era. And it's based around uh, a few brothers and the Depression and World War II. Uh, but we didn't really talk about what to really expect in the book when you're thinking about it as if you were a reader and so forth. So, Brian, uh, do you want to get into like what a reader would kind of expect when they're kind of uh, looking into the book, what they would would get into and uh, what they expect to find when they're um, perusing through uh, this book. Sure. I, it, the story is set from 1937 to 1945, and it covers basically one family in uh, northern Minnesota. But what I try to do, because, you know, 1937 is a world of difference from 2022, and so I made sure that I used the lingo that they used. I made sure that I gave the feel for the times. So, for example, there will be brief interludes, as I call them, um, and, and not very long because I don't want to take away from the flow of the story, but about the rise of Imperial Japan or the rise of Nazi Germany. What's going on right now at this period in the book in the, in the Eastern Front between Germany and Russia? or the American economy, or um, rationing cards. And so I really try to give a feel for what your family would have been going through at the same time. And so the idea is just to pull you in to that time frame. And to do that, I had to give more than just a story. I had to give you a feel of what would be going on around you. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, um, my grandfather, um, who isn't uh, biologically related to me, um, he remarried my grandmother afterwards. Um, like, he was born in 1923. Um, 
I believe, like in Idaho, and um, you know, told me the stories of walking an hour or two in the snow every single morning just to get to school. Um, when he was young, he enlisted into the army, and he traveled everywhere and ended up in like Korea, Vietnam, and all these other places. Uh, fought in World War One and World War Two, and the Vietnam, oh, not World War One, uh, World War Two and the Vietnam War. And if you think about that. And all the different places that he traveled, like um, that time was a lot different than it is now. And um, nowadays, like like back then, people would readily think about um, fighting for their country, standing up for it, and going to enlist into the army. And nowadays, like that doesn't happen as often as it used to. And um, the world's kind of changed a lot. So I could definitely see how there's going to be a lot of different nuances in the book that a lot of people would be able to reflect back upon, especially if they're at the age range. But also um, people younger like myself would get, be able to get deep insights into the history of what really went on during that time, which a lot of people don't have that ability to get those stories from their parents and so forth. Or maybe don't come from a culture where they're able to really see it because um, a lot of families don't really talk about that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, and you hit on a couple of things, but I'll key on one, and that is, you know, the the going into the military aspect of this. So they were in an interesting situation, young men at the time. They were la multiple labels that you could get, and one of them was 1A. And if you were labeled 1A, that means you were going to be drafted. And given the size and scope of the war, there was really no question you were going to be drafted. Well, nowadays, businesses say, hey, look at us. We employ veterans. Well, back then, there was no such thing. They didn't do that. They said, uh, Mr. Kim, you are 1A. We know you're going to be drafted. Why are we going to spend time and money and resources training you? Sorry, not going to hire you. And so you had a lot of young men capable of working, and they couldn't find jobs. And so um, in, the, in the story, and, and this, like I said, this is true. I say in the story, but what happened was one of my great uncles, he hadn't gotten his draft status yet. So he was, he was able to work in the private sector, and he was making decent money as a high school graduate. His brother had already gotten his 1A status, and he could not get a job. And so he was working in the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps, the CCCs. He was making $30 a month, where 25 of it goes home and five of it goes in his pocket. So he's making $5 a month while his, his brother was making, you know, over $30 a week. And so, yeah, it was an interesting time, and you had people go into the Army for patriotic reasons, but you also had people who went in just trying to survive. And so it was an interesting dichotomy of the mindset they went into went to war. Yeah, and I think another thing you kind of bring up is like the currency. You're making about $5, $5 a week back then, um, and burgers were like five cents and so forth. And nowadays, like um, you can't even get a 12-pack of Coca-Cola for $5 anymore. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, um, yeah, with inflation. And in fact, at a time, for a short time during the Depression, they were having problems with deflation, which economists even consider worse. 
Uh, something else you mentioned is you know, about your grandfather saying that, you know, about walking through the snow to get to school, et cetera. And being in Idaho and, and northern Minnesota, we're going to have some similarities there when it comes to uh, the climate. And at one point in one of the letters, my great uncle wrote that he walked uh, to check on my grandmother, who was pregnant with my father at the time. He, he, was gonna, he walked to her house. Well, I knew that was about 16 or 17 miles away. And he mentioned that it was 20 below. And I thought, okay, you know, he's an honest guy, but I checked the weather stat, uh, weather uh, information, and by golly, it was 23 below that night. What? And so if he left not long after sunrise, and he probably heard it on the radio, he knew it was 20 below, and he was right. That was amazing that, you know, would you walk right now, would you walk 17 miles in 20 below weather? No, probably not. Most people wouldn't walk to the end of their driveway to check the mail. Yeah, if you think about dating in Los Angeles now, people won't even drive over to the other side of the freeway to go on a date. And you have this man <laughs> going 16, 17 miles in the, in the snow, in the freezing cold, and you can imagine what he has to wear and carry to be thermalized and warm for that trip and to stay hydrated as well. And when you think about love... <laughs> <laughs> if you can't even love someone to go over the freeway and you're walking that long to get to someone, <laughs> there's a deep sense of what's kind of changed well, in the world. I grew up where it was a little where it's a little bit cold, but I cannot imagine that. And then walking all that distance. And and yeah, I lived in Southern Cal. I understand what you're saying. Um, but yeah, it's just it goes to a, a different level of toughness goes to a different mindset. It was, and they also viewed things as, um, I'll do what I got to do. That was kind of the attitude. Hey, I, I have to do this, so I'm going to do this. I'm not going to complain. And by the way, there was no social media to tell everybody what I, what I just did and complain about it. They just did it. And so I think that was uh, just a different mindset back then. Yeah, I believe that. And like nowadays, like uh, people could drive in a car in, let's say, North Dakota when it's snowing. And let's say, uh, God forbid, something happens to your car and you're stuck on the road. Within like a few hours, uh, you could end up like dying of frostbite if you get out and walk. So um, no you have to think about the preparation that has to come into place when you're trekking onto a trip like that. Because if that's the normal case where you could die, in a few hours and someone's going out manually to go and do this out of their own free will uh, that's that's something in itself yeah and it was the norm that's that's what got me this isn't just a case of oh this is a, a, an outlier this was the norm that this is the way people had to do especially uh, uh, people who lived rural now during the depression in the cities were it was different because, you know, for, remember, unemployment was around 25%, which is incredibly high, but that still means 75% of the people had jobs. And so in the cities, the, the positive was more jobs, theoretically. The downside was if you didn't have a job, getting food. And so that's where the rural people had an advantage, even though they had less access to jobs, they had more access to food because they could grow their own. And in the case of Minnesota, you could 
fish for it. Yeah, you don't really see that nowadays. Like, um, um, and I don't know, the last few years, like, um, and Compton, they started up a garden where people could come in and plant their own foods and so forth. But um, other yeah, I've than seen that, that yeah. <laughs> they're really, there's not fresh, there's not a lot of fresh vegetation outside of the farming communities. So, um, with inflation and so forth, like, um, you can tell there's a lot of food scarcity and, um, even in like the more non-affluent areas, like around Los Angeles, like there's a lot of food deserts where like there's a grocery store, like once every few miles. And, um, you have to consider if people are like walking and so forth, or they don't have the resources, like how they're really going out there and surviving. It's kind of interesting if you think about it. Another aspect of that too. And that is any of your listeners who's known anyone who went through the depression, a lot of those people, are what we would now call hoarders. They did not throw things away. Not necessarily hoarders in the literal sense of getting way too much stuff, but just not wanting to throw things away. And that was because, you know, if something broke, you couldn't afford just to go buy a new one. It, it, you didn't just go, ah, oh, the heck with it, I'll buy another one, what the heck. It's you had to make do. You had to fix things, or you had to have somebody, a friend or family member, who could fix whatever it was. And uh, because if you didn't, you'd go broke. And so there was a lot of jerry-rigging of things, of, of uh, different possessions, to make sure that you had what you needed. Yeah, and if you think about the skill set that kind of goes into that, like when I was living with my grandpa when he was alive, he knew how to build everything. Like he had his own like tool shed, he could build cabinets, he could go change oil in his car, something breaks. He's like, here, give it to me, let me go fix it. Neighbor goes, oh, I'm having a problem in my home. Next thing you know, he fixes it. My mom or my grandma at the same time, she grew up in that era and she's always like, save money, save money, save money. And then like hoards every single thing possible and like, <clears throat> um, like fills the pantry with as much um, canned food as possible in case anything were to happen. And when you think about like people nowadays, like mm, you know, no one really has a disaster relief fund. Um, no one's really saving money. <laughs> no one's really doing any of those things. They're just going out there and living um, as they want to and just hoping things are going to be okay. And my experience is most people don't even have something like um, um, an emergency kit, um, first aid kit. That's what I'm trying to think of. Uh, most people that I know don't have an, a first aid kit in their car, something basic. And yet back then, I mean, they know they knew how to, you know, dress their own wounds, you know. And, you know, some people do today, of course, but most people don't because we don't have to experience that. It's not that we're dumb. It's that we don't need that experience. We just go to the doctor and they take care of it kind of deal. Where you lived out where your grandfather did or my family lived, it's a long way to the doctor. Yeah, I bet. I can imagine how long it takes to actually go and get there. I mean, if you're going to go visit school and it takes an hour or two, where's the doctor's office, right? <laughs> It's got to be a different journey. 
One thing I also wanted to bring up was just the World, World War II aspect of my book, Paper Doll. And it's not a battle book. It doesn't go through battles, um, you know, blow by blow. But it does take you on uh, some bombing missions uh, and gives you an idea of what it was like on, on the islands in the island hopping campaign in the Pacific. Uh, but what was really interesting to me is on, with these um, World War II veterans, what they went through. And by the way, all war. Uh, you know, it, whether it's Vietnam, Afghanistan, doesn't matter. You see some things that people ought not see. You, you know, and people have their friends die in their arms. And, you know, there was a lot that these men went through. And so it was really amazing for me and just a, a great experience. When I went to a reunion of the 489th Bomb Group and met a lot of these men and talked to a lot of these men and their experiences. And it was interesting. They all said, oh, we're not the heroes. The heroes are the ones who didn't come home. And yet these are men who performed Herculean tasks to make sure that we you know, defeated our enemies and, and saved Western Europe and potentially our own country. So it was really a, a great thing for me when I went to a uh, reunion and, and met these men because their, their bravery was unbelievable. Yeah, and about like a decade after my grandfather passed, um, I requested his uh, military records. And while he had a plethora of jobs, one that kind of stuck out was like mortarmen. And I'm like, wow, how, what would that experience ever be like? Like you're sitting behind there, you're shooting mortars out at people. And like he never spoke about it, but that experience has got to be interesting right and um so that's why that's why you know a lot of these guys didn't talk about it because they didn't there was there were already enough um memories nightmares uh that you know i mean and, and think about this think about it on the island hopping campaign and it got down to at times hand-to-hand combat and so you are killing people you don't die that, that is not something, you know, we see it in movies and, okay, whatever, we walk out of the theater, we're done with it. But no, they lived it. And they saw that person that was trying to kill them, and they met eyes. And that sticks with people in, in a bad way. Yeah, I can only imagine the trauma that's built up and <clears throat> why people have tried so hard to make all these different um, facilities that help veterans and so forth, but with the trauma and the PTSD and everything that um, uh, they go through, I I don't know if it's enough right now. But anyways, it's about time for us to uh, hop off to another commercial break. Uh, Where can people find you online again? Written by BWP.com. Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Larry Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained 
Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel, featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And get amplified. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influence channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Class. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The soul of enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with the replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree. It's Leonard Kim here with Brian W. Peterson, the author of Paper Doll and a lot of other books. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about how things have kind of changed over the years and um, <clears throat> the story of walking in the snow for so long and <clears throat> negative 20 degree weather um, to go see someone when, in comparison to like how um people nowadays have difficulty seeing others across the freeway and how the world has kind of changed um if we think about it like people back then um lived very much different lives than we do nowadays um brian do you want to get into like maybe the background of like one of uh, the characters in your story and like make comparisons to like how they are now yeah um so the three out of the three brothers one Carl, my grandfather. And it's a shame, by the way, that when I was a kid and I knew my grandfather, I didn't realize I was going to write a book about him and didn't, you know, spend more time getting information from him. But, um, yeah, my grandfather, he was someone who uh, was extremely tough. And I think he was probably the toughest person I've ever known physically and mentally. 
And so I think that's something that a lot of people don't value today. But in fact, my grandfather took it a little bit to an extreme. If he, if he uh, was irritated by you, you got one chance. And if you didn't leave him alone, he's probably going to knock you out. And I mean, literally <laughs> unconscious. He was a former boxer. And so, um, oh, I, you know, and, and something that just came to mind, too, is how, you want to talk about how times have changed. My grandfather was in his apartment one day, and the police broke down the door and tried to arrest him. And there were either two or three officers, and he, there were three officers, now that I think about it, and he beat them all up. No weapons. He just beat them all up. And then they realized they were in the wrong apartment, and they apologized and left. <laughs> and Imagine being the person who lives there. In the 1950s like, in Northern California, in uh, probably uh, Richmond or that area of, in the Oakland area of California. And so, yeah, it was a different time. People responded differently, and he got in no trouble whatsoever. Um, and so people took care of things themselves. If, um, if somebody was bullying somebody, then somebody took care of the bully and you can argue whether or not that's right or wrong. Fewer lawsuits. I will say that. And, you know, there can be extremes. It can be a bad thing. Um, you know, the, the, uh, taking the law in your own hands kind of thing is not the best way to go for a society that believes in the rule of law. But the point is that they had to take care of themselves when they were young. That's how they grew up. And I think that's one thing. My grandfather was just, he was unbelievable. Uh, there are a number of stories of, you know, him basically taking care of the situation. And you can't do that nowadays without a lawsuit. Yeah, um, uh, that's got to be, like, if you think about, like, the other person on the receiving end of that treatment, <laughs> of that fight, like, um, he just goes into it, and he just does it, even though he's not the right uh, the person that the other person that your grandfather is looking for. Like, um, nowadays, like, um, if you're mad at someone, you're going to go and stalk them online, make sure it's the right person and so forth. I mean, still you'll get into a lawsuit and all those other things. But if you were actually to go down that route, then at least you find the right person. <laughs> but that's got to be crazy. Because back then, like, you have no way to really go and figure out, okay, this is what this person looks like. You, you get a brief description, but then there's like no pictures to compare it to and so forth. So you just got to go with your gut. And sometimes your gut can be wrong. Well, and people, people learn the lesson too. If, you know, somebody was, was bullying other people and got the crap kicked out of them, beat out of them, then he learned, uh-oh, there is a consequence for bullying. And I know that, you know, a lot of people nowadays, you know, they'll recoil at what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what was. I'm not telling you, you know, if it was better or worse. I'm just telling you the way it was. And that was something that uh, I found very interesting um, in, in learning about my family is the way people took care of things themselves. They didn't rely on other people because they didn't believe they had that, that um, luxury to rely on other people. You had to take care of yourself. Yeah, and then also if you really like think about like back then to nowadays, like um, 
uh, back then, like, let's say you wanted to, like, stay home all the time. What were you going to do? Like, listen to the radio? Like, I don't think um, TVs had that many shows that were really on at the time. And nowadays, um, in comparison, just because of the pandemic and everything, like, people have been kind of forced to go and stay home more than what a normal person does. And, like... Um, now people are kind of more accustomed to staying at home where it's like you have a TV, you have the internet, you have pets, you have um, things that you've done to forcefully make your home more entertaining. But at that time, like, you can imagine, like, the boredom that someone has to go through and, like, what's got to be different back then where people were actively looking for things to do like for example your grandfather getting into boxing and so forth like people nowadays like don't really have those hobbies or anything that they're really doing well and people a lot of people read and then of course as we talked earlier you know they wrote letters to communicate and then when you think about it think about uh, one of the big theories TV series in the 50s was The Lone Ranger. Um, maybe it was a little later. Maybe it was in the 60s. But before that, there was the radio series. And so radio was a big deal in the 40s and going backward. Um, and with the, with the shows, with the comedians, and, and live radio at the time. And then, of course, Franklin Roosevelt, the president, was famous for using radio uh, to his benefit in his fireside chats. And so... Um, yeah, there, there was a different level of entertainment. They, if, if they did not uh, do things such as read or work, by the way, because there wasn't always the luxury of having a lot of time to, to have hobbies. There wasn't always the luxury to uh, enjoy life because you had to be working long days, especially if you lived on a farm. And so, you know, people, people did not have as much free time but they also, when they did, you know, just what a lot of people today would consider boring. Which were probably extraordinarily remarkable and exciting times for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, um, it's <clears throat> the shift in technology and so forth. Um, has kind of shifted things in an interesting direction where um, the world's kind of changed significantly. And I don't know, with like AR and uh, the metaverse and all this st stuff coming out, it's kind of interesting what the world's going to end up becoming. And it makes you wonder, like, was it better when we were true to our roots back then or is it going to be better in the future? And it's a question that's up for debate. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, I think there's plus sides to, to, to both sides. But one thing that I do believe is um, hurt with technology is interpersonal skills, where people are not as used to talking to people face-to-face. -face. Um, I, I think that's especially the case of, of the younger kids who grew up, you know, deeper into the technological age than I did, for example. And uh, so when you don't have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people, and that kind of hurts uh, interpersonal, not kind of, it does hurt interpersonal skills. On the other hand, you know, you have uh, access to all kinds of information today. You have, all, you have access in your cell phone to most, not all, but most of human knowledge. Unbelievable how much information you can get. 
off of your cell phone. It's just mind boggling. So there, there are, I think there's pros and cons. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. You do have access to nearly um, almost anything that you want to learn. Um, some things are specialized and they only come with experience or having <clears throat> being in an environment from people who are actually doing it. But other than that, like um, you could easily make a career for yourself making 50,000 to maybe 100 grand a year just based off the resources that you find online um, without even like finding a job and so forth so there's career paths that people can really take from just sitting at home and kind of going and <clears throat> digging and doing research plus all the different um, species of animals and so forth that you can find and everything else it's kind of endless but at the same time like um and there's this platform called Twitch, and there's this um, uh, woman who used to like stream on it, and she put up an anonymous confession form, and then you can see how sad and lonely a lot of people are because they have like no idea how to talk to the opposite gender, and how debilitating their lives are emotionally because they feel like they're just not worthwhile to anyone. But if you think about it, like um. 30, 40, 50 years ago, it didn't matter what you looked like, what you sounded like. You pursued someone and you found someone for, for most instances, which um, kind of seems to be slithering down nowadays. I agree with that. And if any of your listeners find themselves in that place, take up reading. Reading is great. Opening up your mind, opening up your imagination. Reading is great for if you want to read history and learn how other people live. You want to uh, read sci-fi uh, or, or you know some, uh, any other kind of fiction, and you can transport yourself through your imagination to those worlds. And that's one thing I would encourage people to do. Two things: number one, read; number two, learn your family's stories. There are so many things that happened in your family, and you don't even know it. And when people, every time somebody uh, elderly in your family dies a whole lot of stories die with them. Things that you don't know about your family, whether it's the richness of their, of their uh, traditions and culture, whether it's some of the things that they did that were amazing or interesting. And so I'd urge people, learn your family stories. And if you don't already, try taking up reading. It's really healthy. Yeah, and that's a great way to end the show. One of the points you made is <clears throat> to go out there and know your family history um, I met some woman from Kazakhstan once, and in school, what they make you do is they make you go through the genealogy of your entire family history and all their names and so forth, and turn it into a song and sing it in school. And like most people nowadays don't even know who their great um, grandparents are. And um, it's insane where um, this entire country has you going back like, hundreds maybe even thousands of years with their whole family familial line and for us we don't know that um that much past, we, we maybe know up to like our grandparents and so forth but um as you said go out there and read that's a great thing for everyone to do um uh, to start your reading journey go check out paper doll by brian w peterson and maybe check out his other books as well and his upcoming new release. Anyways, everyone, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, to find Brian, uh, you can find him at writtenbybwp.com. Uh, do you have any final words that you'd like to leave with the audience? That's it. I think that the whole Learn Your Family stories has become such a big deal to me because of this story of my family, Paper Doll, 
that that is, is just becoming a driving force with me. Cool. Yeah. So go and ask your family about their family history and get to know the background of who not only you are, but your family and the background of everyone who came from it and get out there and learn more about uh, that journey. Anyways, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.